Hey guys, a new set of products coming your way. Um, I get these questions a lot, so I decided to go ahead and um, give you guys the items that I use to produce this podcast. Um, so here they are. The Bose Micro Soundlink, or Soundlink Micro rather. Uh, excellent quality. If you've heard any of my guest interviews, uh, that is primarily what I use to go ahead and do FaceTimes over, you know, any distance interviews or anything like that. So if you've heard any of those, you can hear the quality of the uh, audio. It's pretty good. Um, so the sound quality is out there. The bass is really good. Um, you can take it anywhere with you. Uh, it's good for phone calls as well. Waterproof. So you can take it out on the lake, you know, if you want to go ahead and use it on the water, take it on hikes, you could do that too. It has a durable strap on it, so that way you can strap it to your backpack, uh, handle on the cooler, anything like that, and take it with you, and it'll stick with you everywhere. Uh, obviously, it's Bluetooth, so you can pair it with your phone. Um, has a six-hour runtime, so pretty good. And the, like I said, for the level of quality of sound, you're going to get pretty solid six hours out of that. Um, you can also, a pretty cool feature that I personally haven't used yet because I only have one of them, but you can actually pair this Bluetooth speaker with other uh, Bose Bluetooth speakers and actually have them run in sync so you can spread the sound out. So like if you have a song playing on, you know, from your phone to the speaker, you can link another speaker to that speaker and you'll just have like two speakers in different spots playing the same music, which is pretty dope. Uh, the other item that I use to record, uh, which a lot of people ask me this one in particular, is the Blue Yeti mic. Uh, you can't go wrong with the Blue, Diet, Blue, Diet, Blue, 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 Blue Yeti mic. It, I mean, if you've heard any of the episodes, obviously, they sound awesome. And I'm using a Blue Yeti mic to record this as we speak. So the Blue Yeti mics, uh, the one that I have linked for you guys in the description has the whole setup. So it's not just the mic. Um, but it comes with everything else I use to mount it and make it really convenient to use. So this is a USB mic, obviously. Uh, no latency delays, so your inputs are pretty spot on. You can hear them in real time when you say something or if you're someone who's more into music. If you're using it for music purposes, all your inputs will be pretty spot on. Um, the microphone comes with... Uh, a nice, easy-to-use uh, bass, so you don't have to use the armature that I've linked for you. It comes with its standalone bass that you can just have the mic set up pretty much anywhere. You don't really need to uh, set up the armature. But it also comes with that removable bass. Uh, four different recording modes. So you got stereo, which is standard. You know, any mic will give you that. Uh, cardioid, which is pretty good too. Omnidirectional, uh, bidirectional. Uh, multiple recording situations so anybody in the room like if you have more than one person on the podcast you can have that set up so it records everybody in the room if you're facing each other you can have the microphone set up so that it will pick up directly in front of it and behind it and then also if you're using just uh, if you want to record almost like 180 degrees it has a mode for that and obviously if it's just you which is the way I usually use it um, you have that option too so Pretty versatile, awesome. But the uh, bundle that I've linked for you, it includes not only the microphone. This In this particular bundle, it'll be a red, satin red color uh, for the microphone. But you can see other bundles there that will give you different colors and stuff and similar setups. Um, but this one, the one that I've uh, set up for you, it will have the... Uh, 
kind of like a filter in front of it. So it kind of saves the hard S's and stuff like that out of the audio. It makes it sound smoother. It's almost like a buffer. Uh, you're going to get that. You're going to get mount for it. And then you're also going to get the uh, susp suspension arm for it. So it'll be an adjustable armature that you can move back and forth and tighten it up or loosen it up. It's spring-loaded. It has these little straps on it, which keeps the wire out of the way. It's pretty awesome, but that's what I use. And you still have the ability to um, get the iRobots, um, the home cleaning systems, and that is 43% uh, up to select models. This offer is good until May 9th. So at that point, I'll probably do another ad and make uh, a new list of products for you guys to take a look at. Um I went over this before, but these robots are pretty handy. Um, you can schedule uh, cleaning times with the app or with your voice assistant like Alexa, Google, whatever it is. Um, it cleans carpet and hardwood, gets corners and edges. Uh, you also have sensors that help the uh, vacuum navigate furniture, corners, keeps it from falling downstairs. Um, so you don't really have to, to not, you don't really have to worry about where it goes. Uh, it'll have sensors on it that can detect dirtier areas and it'll go there and clean those areas more thoroughly. So that's pretty awesome. You don't really have to monitor how well it cleans. It's pretty solid. Um, and it has a 90 minute runtime before it has to be uh, docked back on the charging station. And it does that automatically. Once it knows that the battery is low, it'll just mosey on over to the charging station and uh, mount right up. You don't even have to worry about it dying, you know, somewhere unless it gets caught on something. But like I said, the sensors are pretty good. I have one in my home. It does a great job. Uh, all I have to do is just empty out the, I guess, the storage space for whatever it picks up. Just got to empty that once in a while. But other than that, it's pretty low maintenance. Works really well. So uh, check those out. Links are in the description. And enjoy the episode. Hey, y'all. Sorry to keep you waiting. Um, as I said, I've been working on some other personal things for... Uh, a uh, potential career path. So bear with me. I'm trying to keep as consistent as possible, as I said. But um, I still have to do some things on my end in order to work on my own goals and my own life. So I'm also doing that. So I appreciate you being patient. I'm a little later than I'd like to be with this episode. Uh, usually I like to release things first thing in the morning. So you guys can listen to it at your job, you know, if you're on your way to work, want to pop in some of my uh, content, you can do so. But uh, yeah, we're back and I'm going to try and keep consistent as I can. But if you haven't already, and you know what I'm going to say, comment, subscribe, like, share, do all that stuff to support your boy. You can also donate to the autocast uh, via wherever you're listening. There should be a link at the bottom in the description, and that should bring you to a link where you can contribute to the show if you want to do that. Uh, no pressure, but uh, wink, wink, it would help a lot. So today I wanted to talk about something that is probably miserable for a lot of people. Some people have found their way through um, and made it an enjoyable experience, and that's work. Uh, I feel like I have a pretty well-rounded um, background. 
in tons of different professions. So I feel pretty qualified to talk about work and how I've gotten up to the point that I am. But let me start from the beginning. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. So we've all had that notorious question growing up, right? Everybody wants to know what you want to do for a living. You know, everybody, like, they, they go through that in, like, elementary school. Very, at a young age, even kindergarten probably. I don't remember that far back. Well, I, I remember a couple of things. But it's, as far as I can remember, I've always been asked that question. Um, what do I want to be when I grow up? And you hear the classic answers. You know, everybody wants to be, you know, somebody, you know, like an astronaut, singer, actor maybe artist maybe if you were a very artistic child but me personally I never had like a calling at this point like when I just started out uh this great journey we call life um it was always I I just never knew a lot a lot of kids I felt knew what they wanted to be or had an idea of what they wanted to be, you know, firefighter or a uh, police officer, maybe, or even a superhero. <laughs> uh, but I was never one of those kids. I never sat there and was thinking about what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I was always pretty like a dreamer. I don't know if you could say that, uh, if that makes sense. Um, I just, I just, I wasn't ever thinking about, you know, my profession or what I wanted to be locked into. And that's something that I don't, even if you have, you might have an idea as a kid, I don't think that kids would be thinking that way. You know, they, they just might say something to say something, but you don't really know. What do you really know? You haven't had any experiences that point you in a direction or anything like that. And, I didn't, you know, my, my dad uh, was a separator, uh, so we did a lot of things on the computer with uh, designs, um, pretty much making artwork on the computer and then transposing that onto uh, sportswear, shirts, stuff like that. So he was more the artistic route, and he found his way in a very roundabout way. What he graduated for was mathematics, and that didn't... <laughs> <laughs> that that he went a completely different direction uh from that so everybody i feel has their different ways of figuring it out and i'm going to share with you how i figured out well i don't even i wouldn't even say i figured it out yet honestly but i never knew what i wanted to do so you know i'm going throughout my life um uh, getting into going through childhood still don't know what i want to do um, getting into my teenage years, still don't know what I want to do. Um, and I was never the type to talk about that. You know, I, I was never like, I, I never enjoyed work or I never, I was always like a more, I always enjoyed fun more than anything else. Uh, as a kid, I never was thrilled to do any homework about what kid is, right? <laughs> um, so life goes on. I become 16 years of age, and I remember being in high school, uh, and being 16 years old, you know, your friends start getting jobs, 
in, in my case, nobody had a job yet. I think only one friend of mine had a job and it was working at a supermarket, a local supermarket. I know I didn't want to do that. You know, that, just talking to him, he was miserable there, shoveling roofs whenever it snowed, shit like that. I wasn't about that. <laughs> so I remember being in English class. I had uh, my teacher. I don't know if I can say his name, uh, but uh, I'll, I'll leave his name out for because I haven't talked to him about this. I haven't asked him for permission, but I uh, remember it was 2000 and shit. I want to say 2006 or no, no, no. 2006 or 2008, one, uh, seven, one of those two. No, maybe it was 2008. Might have been 2008. Anyways, the new Xbox 360 at the time had just come out. Uh, well, no, it, it had been out for a while, but uh, I couldn't get it for Christmas. My parents couldn't couldn't afford it. Um, you know, it's just a luxury item. You know what I mean? It's like a three. I don't know what were they at the at that point three four hundred dollars. So it was a lot of money for for a video game console. My parents didn't want to spend that. You know, they had their own bills, responsibilities, and they just couldn't do it. And I, I get it. You know, I, you know, that's a lot of money, and they're getting even more expensive now. But that's another whole another story. Anyways, I wanted it. I couldn't get it because I didn't have a job. You know, I didn't have some sort of substantial income that would allow that for me. So what I had to do was go out and get a job. So the way I did it was I was in school and I I got, I wouldn't say we were friends, but I, I was on good terms with my English teacher at the time. And I was asking him if he knew, you know, a place where I could get a job. And he just so happened to know somebody who managed a local movie theater in my town, in my city. So he set up an interview, you know, for a job there. And I was barely 16. I mean, I was like cutting it really close. I, I And I think in uh, Massachusetts, you're not allowed to work until you're 16. I believe that's the rule. He's either 15 or 16. And I was just like just meeting the threshold. So he sets up an interview. He's like, all right. Um, I think it was after school. I'm not sure. I don't remember exactly when. But set me up an interview. I went there uh, overdressed. To work at a movie theater like I this is my first job interview so I over prepared <laughs> I had like the shirt the tie the the dress pants the shoes like I was like I meant business you know what I mean <laughs> and just to go work at a movie theater I didn't know what kind of job you know I, I wanted to make the best impression I could and I over prepared which you know just is how I handled it I was nervous as shit because you never know who you're, you know, I mean, I did, had no idea who was working there at the time. I didn't know if they're going to be hard asses, if they were going to be good people, bad people. You know, I've never worked a job before. So that work environment was not something familiar to me. I didn't know what to expect. So, of course, you know, I went up super overdressed, uh, you know, mind my P's and Q's, my manners. I think I might have. No, I had no. No, I didn't have a resume. There wasn't there would be no reason for me to have a resume. But I sat down, went in. They were cool. You know, the interview went well. And then I got a job. So I started working there and I started working the concession stand at uh, the local movie theater. 
And my first night, you know, they, you know, you're going through the training and all that. So, you know, you're not on the register yet. You know, my, my position was the register since I was behind the concession stand, but you know, uh, concession stands selling food, popcorn, uh, ice cream, drinks, you know, that, all that stuff. And the biggest obstacle, I guess, would be, you know, upselling people and trying to get them to purchase a size more for like a quarter or whatever, whatever the hell it was. So I remember my first like real shift where I was on my own after all the training, they put me on a register. And when you're on the register, I don't know if it's the same because I have not, you know, worked at a register since since my first job. But you'd have to make sure that the the money lined up at the register. So like after a whole night, you know, you're you're typing things in. It was all, you know, computerized, all monitors and stuff. So you're typing in orders. Um, you know, you're you're taking payments, you're getting receipts, you know, you make sure you have everything organized so that at the end of the night they count up all the money, make sure it matches what the sales were. So that way, you know, they can make sure that all the like you didn't uh, give too much change or didn't get enough back or, or, you know, whatever, make any mistakes. So, and then I ended the, uh, my first real shift goes by. And at this point, you know, I'm not really familiar with anybody, you know, I'm, I'm very nervous. I'm very, you know, I'm just trying to do the right thing. And this is a very high pressure. I put a lot of pressure on myself. Even at that age, I put a lot of pressure on myself to do the right thing and make sure that I didn't, you know, I didn't give a bad impression. So at the end of the night, they count up all the registers and they, you know, do all the, the, the money stuff. So to make sure it's all balanced and they get to my register and, you know, uh, they didn't have me close at the time, I don't think. Or maybe I did. I think I did. I think I did close that that shift. That was my first uh, full shift, so I believe I was closing down the um the the uh concession stand. So, it's time to punch out and my manager's counting up the money at the register. I go back uh to punch out. So, I go back there, punch out, and then I come back out and then I see everybody Everybody on the shift, anyways, standing around the concession stand. So I go over, and I'm like, they're like, Chris, come over here, please. And I'm like, all right. So I go over. I'm like, everything cool? And then my manager, very stern look on her face, says, you're short. And I'm like, what do you mean I'm short? He's like, the money, she's like, the money is, it doesn't add up you're you're short 10 cents i'm like oh fuck i fucked up 10 cents i'm like panicking i'm in a panic i'm like 10 cents i'm like she's like so what happened to it and i'm like to the to the dime to the 10 cents and she's like yeah where is it and i'm like uh, and i had no words i i didn't i i managed it as best i could you know i for my first shift i'm like Oh God, they're gonna castrate me over ten cents. I'm like, this is gonna this is be the, the the quickest job run in history. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be fired over ten cents. And I was panicking. I'm like, I didn't I swear to God I didn't take it. And, and I'm like, I'm panicking and I'm sweating and I'm and I'm like really nervous. And I'm like, 
if you need if you need the 10 cents just take it out of my check i don't i don't uh i don't have it i don't know where it could be i i maybe i you know dropped it or something like that and um and people are just staring at me and i'm i'm stuttering and i'm trying to explain myself and i'm trying to to explain that i i wouldn't take 10 cents 10 cents is like it's like it my goal is an Xbox 360. My goal is 300, 400 dollars above that. Why would 10 cents help me? You know, like I, I couldn't. It did. It didn't make sense why I would take 10 cents, a dime, from the register. How does that help me in any way? How does that? Well, how does me <laughs> losing a whole paycheck equal you know 10 cents that I'd be scrambling for? You know what I mean? It just doesn't make sense. So I'm busy explaining myself and. And then she laughs in my face and everybody starts laughing at me. And she's like, I can't do it. He's too cute. And they were fucking with me. <laughs> they were they were trying to make me panic to over 10 cents. And then I realized that, you know, you, you see places on TV, you know, uh, movies and TV shows that the boss is a dick and, you know, just like so like, oh, like you, you fucked up and you're going to get fired and you get warnings and all this crap. And then I realized as they were all laughing at me that they were fucking with me, they were, they were pulling my legs. So I realized that this was the right place for me. And as crazy as it sounds, work at that point, I didn't realize that they... They all knew it was a movie theater. They've all had so many more life experiences than I have that they knew not to take work too seriously. And I think that was the first, my first real impression of work. That was my first, and I think it was probably the best impression of work that I could ever have. That I stepped into this place and they knew not to take life too seriously. They knew that this was just a job. They came in, did their job. And they went home and it wasn't like a, a tough job. It wasn't a job that they felt was like, you know, the end all be all. Like, you know, you had your managers and they were in great positions and they worked, you know, in in the movie theater for a while to get there. But they didn't take it too seriously. They didn't take life too seriously. And I've met some of the greatest people in my life came from that movie theater. And I still have, I'm still friends with them today, but that's my first experience of a job. And I think it's, it was the best experience I could possibly have. People, uh, people take work way too serious. And I definitely wasn't the first, you know, newbie. I wasn't the first person to ever have their first job there. You know what I mean? They've, they've seen new kids come and go. And I think from the interview, from the out, from right out the gate, they could tell that I was honest, sincere, you know, I, I meant, you know, I meant well, I, and, and they just, I think it was more of a, and I can't confirm this, but I think it was more a test of if I could fit, if I was a good fit for this place. Cause you know, they had a good thing going and I didn't know it at the time, but they had good working relationships with all their employees. And if they were to invite somebody who was a dick into the fold, you know what I mean? If they had this person that just wasn't a fit, you know, they couldn't take a joke. You know, they couldn't. They took things too seriously. They wouldn't want me working there. They wouldn't want to ruin that dynamic. And this is what 
you know, in hindsight, I'm seeing. So they really, really were very great people to work for. And I was blessed to have that as my first experience because it kind of set the tone for my quest up until now, I guess you could say. Because even to this day, I'll say it's the best place I've ever worked. It just it just set the tone in all the right ways. I met all the right people that, you know, I'm still close to today. And it was something, it was an experience that it, it needed to be my first impression for me to survive what came after. And it even became an escape for me. You know, I, I enjoyed going to work. It was it was something that I, I was pretty much hanging out with my friends, you know, making jokes, doing all the best shit. You know, it, this job was so awesome that I, even today, I was like, if they would have, you know, if, uh, well, now, you know, spoiler, the, the place is shut down, you know, because movie theaters, you know, over time made less money and blah, blah, blah. But they, uh, this job was like very chill. It would be like, <laughs> at the time, Nintendo DS was like, which if you don't know, is a handheld video game thing that you could play Nintendo games on and you can do it through Wi-Fi. So you could be online with everybody at the same time without having to, you know, all you needed was the device to play on. And you could even share the game so that if you didn't have the game, other people could still let you play round matches with them and stuff. So our thing was Mario Kart. And we would be playing Mario Kart on the DS on our break. You know, if it was dead, we'd be playing Mario Kart. Uh, and it wouldn't <laughs> it wouldn't be a big deal. You know, managers would, would not be phased by it. As long as we got our work done and we made sure everything was stocked, you know, everything was ready to go for when people came in, uh, it wasn't a big deal. They didn't take anything too seriously. Uh, very rarely did I ever get called into the office or reprimanded. I don't think I even ever did. Uh, but, you know, it, it. these are some of the best people I ever met. You know, one time I can remember me and my supervisor. It was just me and him behind the concession stand. And it was really dead. I mean, it was, we may have had a third person, but it was like snowing outside. It was a storm and we were pretty much open for all that. If it was winter, you know, it, it we never really got shut down unless it was horrible. And even then, like I could, I, I lived close enough to the job where I could walk. So I didn't have a car at the time either, you know, so I was either getting dropped off by my parents or my dad really and then it's either I getting dropped off or I walked you know if it was a nice day it was like maybe a 10 15 minute walk you know why not so luckily I lived really close and we were never close so holidays would be open you know 24 7 not 24 7 but every day and one time me and this me and one of my supervisors we were so bored because nobody was coming in it was snowing it was a really bad snowstorm and it was just like me, him, maybe a third person uh, behind the concession stand and our manager. And we had nothing to do. You know, everything was stocked up. Everything was good to go. So what we ended up doing to pass the time is we took the trash cans. We laid them down. We got a ball. We got a, uh, some tin foil, you know, some, some you know, the, bake, the, the, the foil that you use to cook shit with. We made a ball. We took two brooms. And we played hockey behind the concession stand. <laughs> and then, so we're going at it. You know, we're we're doing the clapping with the with the broomsticks, and we're we're frantically like we're we're going in. 
<laughs> and we're trying to score and we're scoring and cheering and all that. And it's just me and my supervisor. And then the manager was in the office, which is not too far from the concession stand, comes over. She's like, what are you guys doing? And then playing hockey. And then they're like, oh, really? And she's like, yeah. And we're like, yeah, can you? She's like keeping score <laughs> while we're doing it. And we're doing this for like maybe 10 minutes, nothing crazy. But then people started coming in. But that is kind of the place I, you know, I, I've got my first work experience. And I worked there for maybe like three years, two, three. No. Yeah. I would say two, two and a half years, maybe three. And then at the time I was in high school and I was going to a technical high school. So in the meanwhile, I was doing a lot of cooking stuff. And that once I got to the technical high school, that's when I thought most about what I wanted to do in my entire life. So my background is, you know, I'm from a Latino household. Um, and if you've ever, if you've ever been in a Latino household or if you were raised in a Latino household, they cook their ass off. So I grew up with great food. You know, my mom would always cook or my grandma would always cook. My aunts would always cook. So I was grown up, growing up, you know, my, my grandmother would babysit me and I just grew up watching her cook, you know, the smells, the, you know, she would work, you know, she would make her own herbs, she would make her own spices and it would just be. Something that I've seen my whole life. Uh, my mom, same thing. She was very good in the kitchen as well. So ever since I was a kid, like a baby, I, w I, I was like, you know, I always wanted to cook, but I never thought of it as a profession. I never thought of it in that way until I got to high school. And then when I got to high school, I did uh, culinary arts. So if you don't know, technical high schools, you're doing 50% of the time, you're doing a trade. So whether it's automotive, auto body, um, allied health, Cosmo, uh, if it's office tech, IT, you know, stuff like that. Graphics, metal fab, they have a lot of options for you. And so 50% of the time you're doing trade and then the other 50% you're doing, uh, academic learning. And I was, I was decent academically. Uh, I, in, in high school, I was in AP courses, but I was never, you know, I was never a straight A student. My sister, that was her thing. That was her department. I, I was just the middle kid. I was the black sheep a little bit with the academics. So half the time I'm doing uh, culinary arts. And in culinary arts, I'm doing, you know, I'm doing functions. I there Our school came with a restaurant that you will learn all the etiquette. Uh, serve on the left, clear from the right, if I'm not mistaken, stuff like that. Uh, you know, how to set up silverware, how to fold napkins, um, how to polish uh, glasses, uh, how to properly clean and sanitize. Uh, you're doing OSHA stuff. So you're doing uh, really, you know, you're getting really into the the ins and outs of culinary arts. You're doing complete functions where you're serving high, you know, high yield uh, portions. Uh, you're doing baking as well. You're doing waiting. Uh, and it, they pretty much covered all the bases. Uh, you even worked a register there where you process payment and stuff like that. And it was all pretty cool. I, I don't think, I think I picked the right, um, the right shop. They call them shops when you get to the, uh, the technical side of things. Um, so my shop was culinary arts and you even do like the math, like, uh, what do you call it? Um, 
you know, how to how to calculate recipe yields and, you know, multiplying ingredients based on your portion size, like how much you want to you want to make um, all that stuff. So you're doing all of that. And that kind of pushed me towards culinary being my 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 job that I wanted to do. So that's kind of what gave me my my direction. So I think it was after I graduated uh, high school. It was 18 years old. I was about 18 years old. And, you know, after I graduated and oh, uh, something I forgot to mention as well. I, I even competed in culinary, like kind of like a culinary stage, not a, not like cooking and all that. But we had this competition called Skills USA. You guys might know it because um, it's a national competition. You start with, you know, state districts and all that stuff. And then, you know, if you keep succeeding, you went on. So I had a three-man squad, uh, me, my buddy Nick, and Francisco. And we were doing, you know, a presentation on the learnings, the teachings of culinary arts. And we did a presentation and we one thing led to a next. And then we got it to the state, uh, to the national level. And I think... Uh, national is like the second tier before you get into like the world competition. So we got to Kansas City, Missouri. Crazy experience. Uh, we got hotel all paid. I think we had to pay a small fee, like a hundred and something dollars or something like that. But it wasn't crazy. And the school paid for the rest. So we went there and even competed on, you know, the state level. And we went all the way to nationals and we played against from people all over the country, all over the United States. And we actually played placed third in our competition. So uh, we placed nationally, we, we were in third place for our culinary arts performance, which is crazy because we were the first in, I think we made school history. We were the first to ever make it to nationals. We Our school, I think, always participated in Skills USA, And it was completely voluntary. You didn't have to, obviously, but... We were the first uh, in culinary arts to make it to the national stage and place third. So it was a big achievement. And that had me thinking that culinary is what I wanted to do. So by the time I graduated, I was ready to go into the the culinary workforce. So that's what I did. I, you know, quit the movie theater. I gave my two weeks. And that's, that's another thing. Uh, so a lot of people... I was taught to value like the two week period thing. And I always gave my two weeks no matter. Well, I I, I always respected the two week rule. And a lot of people I feel don't respect the two week rule. They're just like, I'm going to find another job, quit. And that's it. But, you know, I, I get that sentiment as well. You know, now that I'm in my older years, but uh, back to the timeline. I got my first job as a line cook and it was a local restaurant uh just started uh i was i was the first one of the first cooks that uh signed on to this brand new restaurant that these two business owners just started um shout out to jamie's restaurant in north andover if you haven't checked them out if you're a local uh go check them out they got good food um i haven't been there in a little bit but uh, good drinks, good food. The staff is is uh, cool as shit. And, uh, you know, Jamie, uh, Wally, shout out to you guys for hiring me. Thank you so much. It's appreciated. Um, 
but that was my first job. And the way I got that job was uh, one of my classmates, Nicholas Shribney, shout out to Nick. He got me the job there. Um, don't know how he got the opportunity, but he brought me on. He knew how I was as an individual. I was dependable. You know, I would work and all that. So I go, you know, I go for the interview and still same song and dance. You know, I got the shirt, the tie and all that. They signed me up. I'm good to go. So this was probably the most uh, from the ground up I've ever been in terms of even now, even to this day, uh, from the ground up, I jumped onto a, a new endeavor with the owner. So this was pretty much I saw like how they were working on the menu, how they were really starting up. So this is probably one of the more important um, jobs I've had to up to this point. Um, and I've only had the movie theater. So uh, anyways, so, you know, I'm watching how a restaurant starts up and becomes, you know, a, a, um, it becomes a, a, a real up and running business. And it was great to be a part of that. I, you know, did a lot, like I learned a lot in school, but it's quite a different thing going from a controlled environment into the real world. It's, and that's any job you go to any job you start. It's the same thing. Um, so I worked there for about a year. I got through every station. So except dishwasher, dishwasher, they always have somebody washing dishes, but you, you know, you help where you can. Um, I started as a salad prepper, so I would do all the salad station. So you have, you know, you cut all the vegetables, you make the dressings, you make sure, uh, you know, everything is prepared in the salad station. You don't really worry about anybody else. And you also help where you can. So that's one thing about the kitchen. If somebody needs something, you know, you help them out, they help you out. That's usually how it's supposed to go. And within that year, I got a real taste of the hustle and bustle. Like it's really a busy, busy environment. It's really high pressure environment. You know, don't, it's not all like, you know, Gordon Ramsay and they're swearing at you and yelling at you. It is in some places, but in that place in particular, they were, they were very nice to work for. And as the year went on, I, you know, I jumped from salads to grill, no, from salads to the fry station and then from the fry station, I jumped over to the grill. And then from the grill, I went over to saute. So I eventually got to all points of the restaurant uh, in the back of the house, they call it, in the kitchen. So I did all my stations there, got all the experience that I could. And at the end of the day, I didn't leave. I left after the year was up. And it wasn't because of, you know, that I didn't like the place or anything like that. It just came down to money at the end of the day. I needed more money. I needed to, you know, eventually get a car and all that. At this time, I was still not able to get a car. And I was 19 years. I turned 19 when I was working for them. So it just came down to money. It was never something about the work environment or anything. They were great people. Uh, I had a lot of fun working there. Uh, I made great friendships. And so the next place, uh, you know, again, Nick brought me to this new place. He quit and then went to this other restaurant. And then he brought me along with him. And that's where I spent a majority of 
the rest of my time cooking. So I spent another three years in a second restaurant. They paid me more and the environment was a little more upscale. So I had a little bit more complicated dishes to work on, complicated salads, uh, more variety of food, uh, higher quality meats. Uh, the owner would go fishing uh, all summer long and, you know, he would pretty much that would be our fish you know, it was freshly caught. It wasn't like outsourced from something else. He would get it himself, which is, you know, commendable on his part. But in that place, uh, because the owner worked in the kitchen and he worked so closely with his staff, you know, he was very hands-on. He was a little too hands-on. If something wasn't done his way, he'd get upset. If he, you know, he would he wasn't really that great of a person to work for. I won't bash anybody because that's not my style. So, but it, he just wasn't as sympathetic or enjoyable to work for as the other places I've worked for. So I was biding my time, counting the days. And there I also learned a lot more of the fine skills. Like the, the uh, you know, he was really anal about like the chopping, the thickness of, you know, certain meats and stuff like that. He was very meticulous and, you know, it's his business. He, it's his baby. I get it. But for me, I didn't enjoy being pressured. I didn't enjoy being yelled at. I didn't enjoy being ridiculed, any of that. So I eventually started going to school for automotive. And how this came along is, you know, I eventually got a car. And then once I got a car, I was very independent but I wasn't making enough money for me to be taking it to the shop every, you know, how often. But luckily, I got a car that was reliable and lasted me way longer. It was a 1998 Acura CL. So very small coupe, you know, manual transmission, of course. Uh, that's all I've ever driven, side note. But it is, I have a mode of transportation. I have the freedom to do whatever I want. Um, but I needed the job in order for me to go to school and pay for the car and the insurance and all that. So I stayed there for about three years, you know, working and biding my time and going to school. Now, my schedule at the time was school was about an hour and 10 minutes away from home and class started at 7 a.m. So I would have to be up probably around five, five something to get ready for school head all the way out to uh, school, which was, like I said, an hour and change away, stay in school until about 2, 1, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, drive home. Yeah, it was what like 1, 1 o'clock in the afternoon. It was like to 1, 1.30. Drive home, sleep for like a half hour, get a little bit of rest, and then be in for work at, a, at a 3 p.m., from three to close most of the time. So closing for, depending on which day of the week you're in, it's like 11, the earliest, to like 12, maybe 1 p.m. if you're, I mean, uh, 1 a.m. if you're really like uh, on a Saturday or something and it's it's busy late. Um, it just depends how long it takes you to close the kitchen. I don't ever think I went home at 1, I don't think. But pretty late, very late, like 12, at 12 probably, 12 to 1. I'll say 12 to 1. Anyways, it was a very, and, and I had to be in school in order for me to go into the field. I was in school for about, uh, 
year and nine months, maybe almost two years. So I was working at that restaurant for three years, three, about three years. So once I graduated school, chucked up the deuces, um, gave my two weeks and all that, and was getting ready for my new profession, which is automotive. So now in automotive, I had the choice to stick with general automotive, which would be, you know, domestic cars, Ford, Nissan, uh, Toyota, stuff like that. Like just the basic shit you see around. But I opted uh, to go to a three-month program. I think it, I think it was another three months. A three-month program to work for Mercedes. So I went to school, finished my basic automotive. Then I went into a Mercedes program. And I had to score a certain level. I had to reach a certain level for me to qualify to go to Mercedes, which I did. So I... Uh, Oh, I forgot to tell you guys how I got into automotive. So I was doing work on my own car, oil changes, shit like that in my in my driveway. Um, so that's where I got, you know, acquainted with cars and I started to like doing that. So that's where my career change came. It just wasn't it just didn't fall out of the air and was I was just like, oh, shit, I want to do automotive now. No, I, I, I love cars. I still love cars um, and I enjoy working on them. It's relaxing in some cases, but if you've worked on cars, you know that that's not always the case. They're bitches. They they fight back. You get hurt, <laughs> uh, but we'll get into that later. Um, so that's where I got acquainted with cars. So I went to school for it, uh, graduated from the Mercedes-Benz program. And then we had a group of people come in from a company out in Jacksonville, Florida. And they're... They have a lot of race heritage, so um, they would rate. They had uh, several companies. Uh, well, just a, uh, three, I think it was Lexus, Porsche, and Mercedes Benz, and then they acquired Sprinter later on. But those were the three main companies. So Porsche, the Porsche division, would race in uh, like the Rolex, the twenty-four hour race, um, the Daytona shit, um, stuff like that. So they would participate in race heritage, which was like, oh Jesus, like. That is awesome. Like, why wouldn't you, if you're a car guy, why wouldn't you want to work for a company that has race heritage in it? So that was my main thing. But the problem was that they were stationed out in Florida. So not stationed, but they, they operated out of Florida. So what that meant for me is I would have to leave everything and everyone I love behind in order to work for them out in Florida. And what they told me was when they came to visit the school is we've hired people from here before. We uh, like the kind of people we get from here. You know, Massachusetts has a very uh, wor high work ethic, high high pressure environment to work in. If you've ever worked in, you know, the North, you know that we're very fast paced. We're very like, go, go, go. We work, work, work. So they like getting their technicians from up there. So they came up, introduced themselves and said all we had to do was send a email out and they would get back to us and do a a uh, phone interview or fly us out for an interview. And uh, after I graduated, I went ahead and reached out to them. And this happened super fast. I mean, like this was, I reached out to them and two weeks later I was on my way to Florida. So this was very quick, very sudden. I had no time to prepare for anything. Um, very little time to prepare. So I made the decision and it weighed on me very heavily because I would be going out there with nothing. <laughs> I'd be going out there with no friends, no family. I would just be going out there and 
you know, it's a completely new culture. I, I consider it a new culture uh, just because the North and the South are not the same. Uh, they don't, you know, it's very different here. We work a lot down there. It's very like five o'clock rolls around. I'm out. I'm going to go drink with my buddies. I'm going to go enjoy the weather. I'm going to go to the beach. I'm going to go because Florida's Florida, man. It is the, it's a vacation state and you start living that vacation lifestyle. So I decided to go out. My dad, uh, he actually decided to take me with him out there, said my goodbyes, and we drove with a U-Haul with my car hitched to the back, and we drove to Florida. It was a great experience, um, an emotional experience, because uh, my dad took the time to you know, see me off, pretty much. He, we had a great road trip. We enjoyed our time out there, and... You know, we just made great memories, and it's one of the best times I've ever had with my dad. And I'll I'll always cherish it. I'll always remember it fondly. Um, so we rented a U-Haul, put all my shit in it, and the great thing about this move was they were willing to assist me with relocation. So they actually gave me some money to live for a week, and find a uh, they put me up in a hotel and gave me some money to put a down payment on an apartment or first and last, or whatever it is, and I ended up getting a, a condo down there, uh, way too expensive, <laughs> uh, so down there in Florida, it's a completely different uh, economic uh, situation, it's, what I ended up making down there was like $15 an hour, which is nothing by today's standards, um, and this was probably 2013, yeah, 2013. And in 2013, you know, $15 then was like, I'm going from a restaurant job to working for Mercedes for two more dollars an hour. But it was $15 goes so far, so much farther down there than it does up here. Um, so Florida, it was like $15 was like, I had enough for, you know, I got a new car. Um, but still, the and, and be able to afford all my bills, but still the condo was way too expensive at the time. It was just a huge toll on my finances and it wasn't worth it. So I lived there for a year and then I eventually moved in with uh, one of my coworkers and we became roommates and great friends. Um, shout out to Louis, Louis Sarijo. Uh, and I ended up, first of all, the best time of my life. I was out there. I did it. It was on my own. I didn't know if I was going to be back in a, you know, in a week, in a month, in a year, or if I would be there for the rest of my life. And it was tough at first. It was really hard. Uh, but I'll get into that later or in another, in another episode. But the, the job there was very, very awesome. The best dealership I ever worked for. And I worked for a total of three of them. So this was by far the best dealership I ever worked for. Nicest people. People down south are so nice. If you've never been uh, to Florida and you've been like, you know, not into Miami and all that. But generally in the south, there is a lot of southern hospitality. That's something that I thought was a joke, but it's not. Quick story. Uh, one time I was going into AutoZone for something for my car. And this dude holds the door open for me. First of all, that's never, like, that's fine. That's one thing. But he's like, hey, how you doing? Good morning. And I'm like, what the fuck do you want from me? 
Like I, that's that was literally going through my head. I'm like, usually when people do like wish you good morning and try to you know talk to you, it's because they want something. <laughs> but down there, it's not like that. People are just nice as shit. And the the gentleman held the door open for me, just wanted to say good morning, and I'm like, oh shit, good morning, good morning to you too, stranger. So they're very nice people, and I ended up staying there. I, you know, I got a lot of experience with different problems. The people down there who helped me learn the ropes of being a technician is, you know, they, they were great. They were understanding. And if you don't know, the way you get paid as a technician is you get uh, paid by the hour. So not, not, not by the hour, by the job. So you have a labor rate and whatever the job uh, labor rate is, you multiply that number. So if breaks take me two two they pay two and a half hours I get paid my hourly my hourly rate for those two and a half hours and the minute I'm done with that job I'm not getting paid anymore so it's great if you can you know if there's a lot of work around and you can go quickly from one job to the next and you know you complete them well and you complete them fast enough you gain on so you gain on the uh, the paycheck so like if I had, uh, let's say my shift was an eight-hour shift, right? I have an eight-hour shift. I could potentially complete 12 hours of work in eight hours and get paid that day 12 hours of work. So by the end of the, the pay period, which would be every two weeks, you would have this, um, you'd have this bomb check <laughs> if you were, if there was a lot of work and you were, and you were good at your job. Um, so you would... You could potentially make like an 80, you know, 90, 100, 120 hour check in 80 hours. And it was great. But the downside is if there's no work coming in, you're not getting paid. So you could work for, you know, you could get your biweekly check and only make 60 hours, which happened often. So there was an upside and a downside to being a technician. And it's kind of bogus to me because if you want these jobs done right, you need to take the time to diagnose and fix things. Also, I was a new kid. So I... it. I spent five years in the automotive business doing, uh, you know, technician work for Mercedes. And I still was coming across new things five years down the line because, you know, they're coming out with new cars and new ways to do things and new technology. So you're constantly learning, but you're running into different problems constantly. So you're never really gaining until, you know, unless you've been in the business for so many years. And that was kind of the downside that i was not, i wasn't gaining fast enough in order for me to to survive and make a good paycheck and then once you know election starts happening and all that you know the workflow goes down and it always fluctuates on what's going on with the world that's another thing if the world is like in uncertain terms your you know your business flow the people that are coming in to spend money on their cars dwindles and becomes less and un, and inconsistent so that was the downside There'd be times where we'd be standing around all day not making any money and people would get pissed. People would be like, all right, what's even the point of, you know, what's even the point of taking this job or that job when I'm still going to be short all this money anyways? And so three years go by and I I enjoyed every single moment of it. I did. I wouldn't change a thing. Now, the 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 fact that I was out there that long is still like amazing to me. <laughs> Because you go a long time without your friends and family and you have to create a whole, you have to generate a whole new life for yourself. If you ever moved, you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's a, it's kind of a real test to your character. And 
eventually I moved back. And the reason I did that was family. I realized in those three years, family, friends, those people meant so much to me. And it was something that I had to think about very carefully because if there was an emergency, like uh, somebody was sick or if there was like a family emergency where, you know, I had to show up uh, for a funeral, it was a $500 trip every single time I wanted to come up. And it actually happened where I had a uh, death in the family and I couldn't afford to go up there because I had my bills and I just didn't have the money saved up to purchase a, a ticket to go up there. So I had to hear it through the phone that uh, somebody died in my family. And it was, it, it was, I felt powerless. You know what I mean? I felt like I couldn't do anything even if I wanted to. I couldn't try, I, could, I couldn't. I, it was just, it was kind of that, you know, it wasn't a great feeling. I'll just leave it at that. So these are things that I had to consider. Like my sister was, uh, she got engaged and I wanted to be around for that. You know, she was going to have, I, I, I know she's going to have kids before I do. So it's like, I, I wanted to be there for that. My parents are getting older. So, you know, they, they, you know, you never know with health and how they're going to be able to remember things. And so I just wanted to be there for that. So these things started weighing heavily on me. And same thing with my roommate, who coincidentally was from Massachusetts. I was like, what the fuck? What are the chances? So we <laughs> so we kind of had the same mindset. And we agreed that, you know, family was kind of a little bit more important. So we ended up moving back. And then I worked for another dealership out in Boston. Um, that was overall a mistake. And then I worked again over a year later. I worked over in uh, Manchester, Manchester, New Hampshire. So that was a little bit of a better experience. And this whole time I'm, I'm working with my roommate. <laughs> so we're going from job to job. Like I'm finding a place to work and I say, Hey, come over, come through. Let's, let's, uh, let's go to uh, Manchester. It's better than, than working over in Boston. So we go over to, to Manchester and, you know, we, uh, we did well over there for a little bit. And then I just figured out like the inconsistency with the paycheck and all this and the way workflow was here. And then it wasn't, and it just wasn't a way that I felt secure. So I eventually stopped working for, you know, the technician life because it just was inconsistent. I never got into mom and pop shops um, and maybe that could have been different, a different experience. But my, all my experience with uh, working on cars was the dealership. And then, you know, as time goes on, you figure out things here and there that you just don't rock with. And the dealership life just wasn't for me. So after that, I'm like, OK, I have all this knowledge on cars. What can I do with it? And that was kind of my main focus. I didn't want to waste all the time I spent learning about cars and the ins and outs of the vehicle and the trade and the business. So what I ended up doing was working for a uh, dealership selling cars. So I went into sales. And if you guys can't tell, I'm pretty comfortable with speaking. I'm pretty uh, comfortable with my... Uh, um, 
manners and the way I conduct myself in front of other people. I'm, I'm pretty personable, relatable. So these are qualities that I already had. Now, it made it only made sense to me to take what resources I had and apply them in a different way. And I went into sales. And sales for me was way more enjoyable. Um, the only problem I had with sales is that you're spending 60 hours a week working. So you're, you're, you're there all the time. And you're cold calling people, which I couldn't, I fucking hate cold calling people. I hate calling people and trying to sell them something that they don't even think they want. You know what I mean? They, their brain is not even geared towards buying anything. And you got to convince them out of the blue that they want this thing. And I'm just like, no, that's not, that's not me. I, I, like, I would hate to get a call like eight o'clock in the morning. I'm trying to go to work and somebody's trying to sell me something over the phone. It's like, dude, I, I have a life. I, I want to do that. Don't get me wrong. You can be good at it and people will, you know, people will are like that. People will say, yeah, I'll come in for an appointment and, you know, but there was a lot of that. There was a lot of like, uh, you know, you would set stuff up and people would flake on you and it was just a waste of your time a lot. But don't get me wrong. If you were good at your job and I like to say that I was good at my job. It, you know, I got salesman of the the quarter twice in a row. Uh, I won a few awards. I, I've made a great, a couple of good deals. Um, and I worked there for a year and change. Um, but that really, really got me the ability to speak to people without fear. Uh, really find common ground with people that I may not have agreed with. It was a lot of uh, skills that I sharpened doing sales and it was it, it'll be something that's with me for the rest of my days I don't feel like those skills will ever leave me I don't feel like uh, I wasted my time because I made a lot of money and I generally improved upon myself while I was there so I got a lot out of it and this is where I also learned that money isn't everything money is great to have it is something that is you know it's going to bring you the freedom you need to do all these other things that you want to do you the, the downside is you don't have the time to do them because you're spending most of your time at work and yeah you have vacation but it's not adequate you're not getting like all this vacation time to spend doing things you're they want you there as often as you can they'll ask you to come in on your days off they will, you know, they'll make you tailor your life to work and around the customer, which I just didn't rock with. I'm somebody who values my time very heavily over money. And this job taught me that, that I'm not like a money hungry person. I'm not somebody who's going to, you know, spend all their time doing something to make other people money. Yes, I did make myself money, but at the same time, I wasn't going to sacrifice my entire life for money that's just not me and don't get me wrong people who are really good at this job and i know a few shout out to edwin very good at your job bro but it just me wasn't that that's not a drive for me so that taught me a very valuable lesson and i enjoyed every moment i was there because i was always working on myself at the, in the meantime while i was there I figured out that money wasn't everything and I needed something a little more fulfilling, fulfilling. So 
I actually had a situation where someone uh, had an overdose at work and the EMTs came in and they brought him back. He had cyanosis. So that's like a purple, you know, that's purple discoloration around the lips, you know, the fingertips, stuff like that, that, that indicates that you're not getting oxygen and he just had an overdose. I was outside on a test drive with a customer. I came in and I see this happen and I'm like, what did I miss? So the EMTs roll in and, you know, the ambulance and I see them working on my coworker. They're working on my coworker and I'm watching them save his life. He ends up pulling through and people are like shocked and crying and all that. And I'm just standing there. I'm watching all this happen and I'm fascinated. I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated how... I've never seen this happen. You know, I've never seen EMTs in action before. I've never seen paramedics in action before. So I'm watching them do all this. And I kind of, because I knew this person so closely, I, f I felt like that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to help people more than, than anything else. I figured out that money was great to have, but it wasn't a job that was fulfilling to me. Money's great, but if you... If you have something that's gonna that you're gonna enjoy and you're gonna focus on and do and and love it, money is no object. It'll come to you. You know, it it may be not immediate, but eventually you'll find a path doing something you love. And it doesn't have to be an EMT. It doesn't have to be something particular. It can be something that you find a little niche or you do your own thing. Which I was actually talking to my next guest that you guys will hear uh, probably this week. But that's kind of what gave me the idea that I prefer to help people. I'm, I'm, I'm a nice person. I want to help people. And if I can do that for a living, I feel like I've explored the avenue of money. And now I want to go head more towards something more for fulfilling. I don't want to hate every second I'm at a job. Or I don't want to dread doing that job. I want to be happy. And I feel like happiness will bring money in the long run. So fast forward to today, this is where I am. I am now uh, going in for testing tomorrow and then, well, you guys won't know it's tomorrow, but <laughs> I'll be going in for uh, examination practices and doing stuff, getting ready to get my license for the EMT registry and all that. And that's my next... Uh, that's my next endeavor. So that's where I've come. That's where I've, this is how I, I've gotten to where I am. And if you take anything from what I'm telling you or what I'm saying or my story, it's that you don't need to know what you're going to do for the rest of your life. Things are going to happen in your life. There's going to be a path you can't see. You're not always going to choose but there are things that are going to cross your path and if you if you have an open enough mind and if you if you're willing to absorb all the right things from the situations that come into your path you may be led towards something life may tell you what you're going to do life may life may lead you to where you're most needed and i heard something very interesting recently i think steve harvey said it and some of you, if you're on social media, you might have seen it. But he said, and I correct me if you know I'm 
I may not get it word for word, but he says, your job is what you're paid to do. Your calling is what you're meant to do. I may have, I may be off, but that's a sac- That's that's the idea of it. So once you find your calling, you'll know it. You'll feel it. You'll be able to tell when you're doing something just for money. You 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 know it's like in your it's in you to to recognize that. You may hate it. You know you're not gonna like everything you do all the time, but you'll know when something's not for you. And another piece that I found very enlightening for me through my experiences was don't be afraid to let go and go find another job. Don't be afraid to take an opportunity as it comes. Don't be afraid to take chances. Don't be afraid to say yes because you may be taking yourself out of a great life-changing experience or opportunity. Not everything I did felt significant until I was through, until I was done with it. And then I look back and I see how valuable that time I spent doing those things were. So that's the moral of my story. And that's something that I'm going to carry through for the rest of my life. But God, I can fucking talk. (laughs) I can fucking talk. Anyways, that's where I am. That's my advice. Don't, and not that any of you need it. It's just, it's just what I've learned and I'm here to share my experiences. So hopefully if you're young enough and you're listening to this and you're seeing that, you know, my life has gone from left to right, then left to right, then left to right. You know, it's, it's, I've gone in a lot of different directions and it's not dead ends. They're not all dead ends. They're just skills and tools I've been able to harness through these experiences and mold into this this uh, repertoire of tools I can use to pursue new things in life. And I feel like that's probably the most important thing about all of my work experience and all the things I've done so far. And I don't regret any of it. I don't regret any of it. No matter what, how much, you know, how much I struggled you know, no matter how much I doubted myself, no matter how much I felt it didn't work out at the time, I felt like it all, it all was paramount for my development as an adult and as a student of the world. But that's it. That's it. That's really all I wanted to talk about. And thank you for listening. If you made it this far, God bless you. (laughs) Uh, So next episode, I'm going to have a friend of mine, Heidi Carrillo, on. And she is a new business owner. She'll be launching October 30th. So you'll hear that before, well before she launches. Um, But she's going to be my next guest. Uh, She's doing self-care products. Luna E. Soul is the name of her business and she's great to talk to we got into a lot of good stuff but uh if you haven't guessed by now please uh the best way to get all my updates uh anything i post is to subscribe to the autocast 
And you can find that on Facebook uh, groups. Um, I'm going to be doing an IG page, which probably by the next time you hear the uh, the next episode after this one with Heidi, you'll be able to follow that page and you know keep up to date that way as well if you don't have Facebook. Um, you can also um, support me by going into the link in the description of each episode, and I believe it's Red Circle. You can donate there if you like what I do. Um, and that's really all I got. So thanks for listening. Appreciate you guys. Peace.